From NPR and WNYC, this is Ask Me Another, live from the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and with me is puzzle guru, John Chinesky. Hi, hi, everyone. Hi, Ophira. Hello, John. Let's meet our first two contestants. Let's give a warm welcome to Valerie Glassman and Adam Yeager. Valerie, quick question for you. Have you ever bought a totally useless gadget? We bought one of those hand chopper thingies uh-huh. once, and oh, yeah. I think the first slam, it slammed open. <laughs> oh, really? That, no, that's not good no. at all. Not very good. How about you, Adam? Uh, I got a sham well. Really? <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. <laughs> all right. Well, this is going to be interesting. Because this game is called As Seen on TV. And we're talking about those fabulous late-night commercial selling products that you must buy right now. And if you call in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw in three more combination can opener potato peelers absolutely free. That's four handy cans for the price of one. Operators are standing by. (laughs) Clearly, puzzle guru John Chinesky is going to help me bring these magical infomercials to life. So the winner of this round will go on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. Are you ready? Let's go. In an iconic early 90s commercial, 74-year-old Edith Four lay helpless on the ground. But fear not, she pressed a button on her life call personal emergency response unit and cried out what infamous seven-word phrase? Valerie. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) Technically, that was eight words, but we'll take it. I've fallen. And I can't get up! (laughs) I like that you added help because you think that's what someone would yell. But no, not at all. (laughs) This product was shown performing such useless tasks as cutting through an aluminum can and slicing through shoe leather. Its commercials began with this line. In Japan, the hand can be used like a knife, but this method doesn't work with a tomato. Guaranteeing your satisfaction for 50 years. What was this priceless utensil called? Valerie. The Ginsu knife. The Ginsu knife is correct. Yes. In the 1990s, the standard for audience participation was set by an infomercial for the Ronco Showtime Rotisserie Oven. Thanks to the oven's ingenious automatic timer, all you need to do was to slide in your chicken and then just set it and what? Valerie. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget it is correct. (laughs) I'm sensing, Valerie, that you watch television between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. A little bit. In the mid-2000s, this infomercial perpetually played on television sets. Made in Germany. You know how the Germans always make good stuff. You can cut it in half, use one as a bath mat, drain your dishes with the other one, use one as a towel. Olympic divers, they use it as a towel. Look at that, completely dry. Hawked by the fast-talking Vince (laughs) Lomi, what was this life-changing towel called? Adam. That'd be the ShamWow. That would be the (laughs) ShamWow. Now known as the aforementioned ShamWow. Yes. I love that uh, we needed, you know, that's sold based on the fact that Olympic divers use it, not just an Adam. Olympic divers and Adam use the Great ShamWow. Great those it's guys. Us. Yeah. A certain product allowed you to turn on electric devices, actually turn them on and off, by simply applauding. Can you sing its famous jingle? 
Valerie. Clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off, the clapper. <laughs> this quiz is sort of making me feel both happy and sad about the world. Yes, yes I can understand that. Same time. While he sadly passed away in 2009, this high-energy pitchman sold millions of products ranging from the awesome auger to the Zorbies. One scoop and every load of laundry. It'll make your whites whiter, it'll make your brights brighter. As a stain remover, it's the best. Grass stains, clay stains, long live your laundry. OxyClean, the stain specialist. Who was this bearded master of television sales? Adam. Billy Mays. Billy yes. Mays. of daytime game shows might remember seeing this ad. Was this you last night, tossing and turning, pillow propping and punching your way into a comfortable position, trying to sit up and relax or sleep? Your flatbed was just not made to fit the natural curves of your body. Now there's a bed that automatically adjusts to fit your body's contour. What company made this amazing moving bed? Valerie. The Craftmatic. The Craftmatic. Yes, that is correct. Finally, a hospital bed in your own home. What a thrill. Valerie wins that round. Congratulations, Valerie. You'll be moving on to her. Ask me one more final round at the end of the show. Adam, thank you so much. You were a great contestant. Let's welcome to the stage our house musician, John Roderick. Thank you. Hello. Hello, John. We are so happy to have you. Jonathan Colton is not here, so we've traded in our regular bearded guitar player for another more enchanting, hmm. more beautiful... That's good of you to say. ...bearded guitar player. Taller, also. I can eat more in one sitting <laughs> than he can. What would you like to play for us? I'm going to play a Jonathan Colton song <laughs> in homage to him and also as a form of mockery. So this is a song called Skull Crusher Mountain. Welcome to my secret lair on Skullcrusher Mountain. I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far. I see you've met my assistant Scarface. His appearance is quite disturbing, but I assure you he's harmless enough. He's a sweetheart, he calls me master, and he has a way of finding pretty things and bringing them to me oh i'm so into you but i'm way too smart for you even my henchmen think i'm crazy i'm not surprised that you agree if you could find some way to be a little bit less afraid of me you'd see the voices that control me from inside my head say I shouldn't kill you yeah thank you John Roderick right in front of me now are our next two contestants Tom Waiswanga and Dean Rosenblum Welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you. Tom, you're a uh, high school math teacher. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, first of all, for teaching math. Do you have a uh, favorite thing to teach? Oh, gosh. I mean, I teach uh, calculus and uh, 
mostly calculus, really. And, uh. <laughs> uh, Dean, you're a chef. Fascinating. I love that. Do you have a signature dish? I love to make chicken soup. Yeah. Because it, maybe it doesn't help, but it, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> John Chinesky, what is our next game? This game is called Something in Common. I'm going to give you two clues about two very different things, but it turns out the answer to both clues is the same. For example, if I said, he played Rick in Casablanca, and it's also one stroke over par in golf, the answer is bogey. Contestants, ring in when you know the answer. Here we go. It's a 1985 law allowing former employees to continue health insurance and the thorn in G.I. Joe's side. Dean. What is Cobra? Or Cobra is Cobra. Right. You, are, you are not on Jeopardy. Alex. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, John. Quite all right. <laughs> I can tell what your dream was, but I hope this will do. This is, this is, this is better. Much better cause. Let's, let's try this one. An R&B group that won a Grammy for Best New Artist in 1993... And the sitcom that tells the story of a wealthy family who lost everything, and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. Mm. Mm. Dean is making it look like there is no answer to this question. <laughs> Stop let's trying throw it, let's, to make me find let's it. Let's throw it to the crowd. The problem is my Ron Howard impersonation is not that good. Dean wants to throw it to the crowd. All of a sudden, you believe you are also hosting the show. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Tom, no answer. No. Okay, anyone out there? It's Arrested Development. That's a point for me. I'll take that one. Okay. What you might find on the top of a house and a common rash disease caused by the reactivation of chicken pox in adults. Tom. Shingles. Shingles is right. Wild leaks and items installed for handicapped accessibility. Dean. Ramps. Ramps is right. Very good. Resettled refugees from the Second Sudanese Civil War and a vampire movie starring Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. I know. When have you heard that comparison? Tom? The young ones? No. Not the young ones, no. Mm, close. The older ones. Not the <laughs> older ones, no. This was back when, uh, before Ed and Jacob were vampire movie, uh, there were the two Corys, and they... And Kiefer Sutherland. And they were in what? Moss Boys. Early leaders of the Protestant movement and central pieces of equipment used in Pilates. Dean? Reformers. Reformers, yes, very good. Well done. This is a three-parter. An item used in the sport of curling, 14 pounds, and Keith Richards. Tom. Stone. Stone is right. Very good. But Dean takes that one. Is going to be in our final round. Way to go, Dean. Congratulations, Dean. Thank you so much, Tom. Coming up later, joining us is our VIP. That's Very Important Puzzler. We have writer and artisanal pencil sharpener, David Reese. He's the author of the book, How to Sharpen 
pencils. So I ask you this. What famous author worked in his father's pencil factory by combining graphite with clay, introducing pencils of different hardness, including our own personal favorite, the number two pencil? (laughs) The answer coming up in a minute. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and this is NPR's Ask Me Another. to Ask Me Another. Yeah. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and joining me on stage is the guitar-wearing fool and our musical guest, John Roderick. (laughs) And our puzzle guru, John Chinesky. Hey, it's me. Hi, guys. Now, Chinesky, as in John Chinesky, before the break, we asked this question. What famous author worked in his father's pencil factory and by combining graphite with clay introduced pencils of different hardness, including our favorite, the number two pencil? Do you know? That would be Henry David Thoreau. His new pencils were simply transcendental. Ah, beautiful. Let's bring up our next two contestants. We have Catherine Sommerfeld and Stephen Strafford. Welcome. Catherine, do you ever sing karaoke? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that answer. (laughs) Not well. Uh, That's the whole point of karaoke, as far as I'm concerned. Then I'm excellent at it. Well done. Do you have a a go-to song? No, not really. We've done a really bad rendition of I've Got You, Babe. (laughs) Who's we? Me and my husband. Oh, that is adorable. How's that marriage going? Oh, well. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's why. That's why you sing together. The song goes on forever. Hopefully <laughs> the marriage will too. <laughs> and welcome, Stephen. Are you a karaoke person at all? I enjoy a karaoke tune. Do you, <laughs> Do you have a favorite karaoke song? Uh, I like the song At This Moment by Billy Vera and the Beaters. It's the song that Alex and Ellen dance to on Family Ties. And now they're married in real life. So it worked. It works. <laughs> The power of song. Mm-hmm. John Roderick, what do you have for us? We have a, uh, a game called Sing What? It's all about misheard song lyrics, also known as Mondegreens. There are some very famous examples of misheard lyrics, such as the following. Oh, don't go around tonight. Well, it's bound to take your life. Yeah, there's a bathroom on the right. The real line in that Creedence song is, of course, there's a bad moon on the rise, right by the bathroom. Ah. <laughs> so I'm going to intentionally mangle the lyrics of famous songs, and you have to tell us what the real lyrics are, and you have to sing the lyrics. The contestant who gets more right moves on to our final round at the end of the show. Here we go. Am I hard enough? Am I rough enough? Am I rich enough? I'm not too blind to see. I'll never leave your pizza burning. Catherine. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to make it up. I won't be your beast of burden. Yeah, I think we'll take that. 
It's actually, I'll never be your beast of burden, because a beast of burden is not a thing you would want to be. No. No. All right. Next question. She says, we've got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we bake it or not. Catherine? Doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. Exactly. John Bon Jovi, part of the New Jersey School of Songwriters who rhyme make with make. Oh, (laughs) yeah. yeah, That does rhyme. Doesn't make a difference if we make it or make. (laughs) (laughs) This is the third question. Come on, shake it, shake it, shake it. Oh, oh. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Oh, oh. Shake it like a polar bear ninja. Uh oh. Steve. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Yeah. Well sung. Beautiful. Well sung. I see you have backed some Lucy Lou's and some uh, <laughs> Beyonce's up on the dance floor. Good man. Don't go making melon balls Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to Stephen? Don't go chasing waterfalls Although I think it's just a good PSA to not make melon balls as well. I think we should all be aware. That is... Word. It's a, it's a tough night. That is a tough night of melon balls. <laughs> Have you ever had that melon ball night that you just uh, I, I really, don't want to well, talk you know, about? Actually, uh, melon ball is my stripper name. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are some musically articulate and knowledgeable people. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother, you're a steak and a knife, a steak and a knife. Feel the city breaking and everybody shaking, you're a steak and a knife, steak and a knife. Ha, 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 a steak and a knife, a steak and a knife. Ha, 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 a steak and a knife. Catherine. Staying alive. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going that far. I just sang for two minutes. <laughs> I sang Steak and a Knife seven times. It's staying alive every time. Uh. <laughs> Can you give us some uh ha ha's just for fun? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Our next question is a song that I, uh, I barely know. <laughs> <clears throat> But I feel I, like, it, I love the transparency I, of this show. But I feel it in my heart is the thing. So that is, uh, as you all know, the secret of art. You don't need to know the chords no, or just, the words. You just need to believe. You just believe. Yeah. Scars of your love remind me of us. Keep me thinking that we almost had it all. The scars of your love, they leave me breathless. I can't help feeling we could have had it all. Putting in the teeth. Catherine. Rolling in the deep. Yeah. 
Good job. I love how you pretended not to know that song. That's so adorable. <laughs> Every day listening to it, uh, you singing know what? along. You know what? I'm metal. <laughs> I don't know about all this pop music. I've got flu rickets and parasites. Won't you pack your bags and leave tonight? I've got flu rickets and parasites. Catherine? Two tickets to paradise. Yes, that is correct. Well done. Although with flu rickets and paradise, they're leaving tonight for quarantine. That's where they're on their way. You won, Catherine, this round. Congratulations. You'll be going on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Thanks, Stephen Strafford. Good job, Catherine. Bringing beautiful voices to our stage. Are you tired of being right all the time? I bet your friends are too. Why not take it to the next level and join us on the radio? To be a contestant on Ask Me Another, reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook at NPR Ask Me Another. Or why not send us an email at askmeanother at npr.org. Okay, let's bring on our next two contestants. Please welcome Hannah Van Winkle and Jason Shapiro. So happy to have you both. Welcome. Thank you. Hannah, you are a television producer? Indeed. Do you watch a lot of movies? Yeah, fair amount. What is one movie in your, like, top ten? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Nice. Jason Shapiro, math major, now working for a financial firm that does high math. That's basically right. Do you watch a lot of movies? I would watch the movie Airplane as many times as necessary. Oh, you like a comedy. I get it. This game is called He Was In That. You know how it seems like some actors are in every movie? That's because some of them literally are. Try to name a movie, for example, that does not star Michael Caine, Anthony Hopkins, or Donald Sutherland. Try it. Try it right now. Try it. Try it. Airplane. (laughs) Airplane. (laughs) Ghostbusters. (laughs) All right, you did it. In this game, I'm going to name a movie, and you're going to tell me which one of these illustrious thespians appeared in that film. Okay, so it's Kane, Hopkins, or Sutherland. We'll start with you, Hannah. He gave love-starved butlers a good name in the remains of the day. Hopkins. That is correct. (laughs) Jason, he was the depressingly loyal butler Alfred in The Dark Knight. Kane. That is correct. (laughs) Hannah, in the original 1969 The Italian Job, he was the head thief Charlie Croker. Kane. That is correct. In the 2003 remake of The Italian Job, hmm, he played John Bridger, a con man out for one last heist. Let's throw a Sutherland out there. All right, let's throw it out and let's be correct. (laughs) Hannah, Mary Tyler Moore played his wife in Ordinary People. Hopkins. Ooh, I'm sorry, that would be Donald Sutherland. In Hannah and Her Sisters, Jason, he was married to Hannah and fell for one of her sisters, because he's like that. (laughs) Hopkins. Hopkins is incorrect. Let me throw it out there for that one. Kane. Kane, says the audience with sort of a weird judgmental lilt in their voice. (laughs) Death fell in love with his daughter in Meet Joe Black. What do you think, Hannah? Hopkins. You got that right. 
He lusted after his friend's teenage daughter in Blame It on Rio. Sutherland. Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me throw it out there for that one. Yay. See, in that same judgmental lilt, they said it again. <laughs> in a career highlight, he played Hoagie in Jaws the Revenge. Hannah. Kane. Kane is correct. Someone knows her Jaws 4. <laughs> he and Julie Christie were rumored to have actually done it in their love scene in Don't Look Now. As in, don't look at them really doing it. <laughs> Kane. <laughs> you would think so, but no. This time it's Sutherland, isn't it? <laughs> you would think so. I know you were like, just don't make the audience yell that at me again. That's right. <laughs> Not correct in this case. Sutherland is correct. Hannah, in Magic, perhaps the best movie ever made about a ventriloquist. And I know the contenders in that category the are canon just of ridiculous. That is just, yeah. yeah. He was Corky Withers and the voice of Fats, his dummy. Gotta be Hopkins. <laughs> yes, you are correct. Really? <laughs> I know, answers like that make you excited. You're like, I, I know <laughs> yeah. stuff, I know stuff. I'm a good guesser. You are a good guesser. In the film adaptation of Nathaniel West's novel, The Day of the Locust, he played the main character who was named, believe it or not, Homer Simpson. You're now venturing into movies that I haven't even ever known to exist. Yeah. Let's go with Hopkins. We'll go with incorrect, but All that's right. a good guess. <laughs> I'll throw it out there one more time. Sutherland. Only a couple people, but Sutherland was the answer. <laughs> Hannah, you're our winner. <laughs> a great match. Thank you so much, Jason. I think we gave you some movies that you're definitely going to see in your future. John Roderick. I didn't realize how many pervs Michael Caine has played over the years. <laughs> I like that. That's what you took away from that. Uh, do you have, would you like to play a song for us? Oh, yeah, happily. I'm going to play a little bit of my song Scared Straight, which is a long winner's song from the album When I Pretend to Fall. She didn't want you to speak right. She didn't want you to be strong. She didn't want you to act nice. She didn't want you to take so long She didn't want you to call time She didn't want you to seem tired She didn't want you to leave mad Didn't want you to get so wild Can you wait? Can you stand out? Are you brave or are you scared straight? Scared straight. John Roderick. Here are our next two contestants, Leo Are and Brian Colley. Welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you. We are happy to have you. Brian, are you originally from Boston? Uh, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, but I live in Boston now. You live in Boston right now? Yes. Okay. And are you a sports fan? Uh, huge sports fan. What's your top team? Uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, so I'm the Eagle fan. So, oh, yeah, else, right. so. yeah, boo all you want. <laughs> all right. we, we are terrible. I know. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Leo, how about you? Are you a sports fan? Um, it was very tough growing up as a Mets fan in the late 70s. Oh, look at <laughs> you guys have so much in common. <laughs> 
Well, let's bring back our puzzle guru, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, guys. I'm back. Hello, gentlemen. What is our next game, John? This game is called The Eye in Team. We've taken the names of U.S. pro sports teams and substituted an I into their nicknames in place of another vowel. We'll give you a clue based on the new names. For example, if we asked you for the Arizona basketball team that's full of sloth, gluttony, envy, and pride, you would say the Phoenix Sins as opposed to the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> Got it? Got it. Here we go. What's the Massachusetts baseball team that's made up of a half dozen communists? <laughs> Brian. Boston Red Six? That's it, the Boston Red Six. <laughs> Very good. What's the Wisconsin NFL team that, in the offseason, loves working in vineyards? Leo. The Green Bay Pickers. The Green Bay Pickers is right. <laughs> What's the California NBA team that's always giving thumbs up on Facebook? The Los Angeles Likers. That's them, yes. Which I think should be their name, frankly. I think that's a very nice name for a sports team. It's very positive. They very all positive hug at outlook. the end. Very good. We like you. What's the Texas NBA team that feels sick as a result of too little vitamin D? Brian? The Dallas Mavericks? No, afraid not. <laughs> Leo, you want to go for it? Yes. The Houston Rickets? The Houston Rickets is right. <laughs> What's the Michigan NHL team that can no longer fly? Brian? The Detroit Red... Wongs? <laughs> no. <laughs> Leo, do you think you can do this? The Detroit Red Wings? The Detroit Red Wings, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I feel the same way. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> What's the Missouri NFL team whose favorite sports equipment is, oddly enough, basketball hoops? The St. Louis Rims. St. Louis Rims is right. <laughs> Give this guy a hand. That was very good. Very good. What's the Missouri baseball team whose salaries are paid out in Saudi Arabian currency? Brian. The Kansas City Rubles? No, not Rubles. Leo? The Kansas City Reals. The Kansas City Reals is right. And Leo, that means you take the game. You're coming back to our Ask Me One More final round. Nice work. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Ophira Eisenberg. And coming up, we'll figure out exactly what it means to be an artisanal pencil sharpener with our VIP, that is very important puzzler, David Reese. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of trivia, puzzles, and word games. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and joining me is author and writer of the Rolling Stone comic strip, Get Your War On, as well as the very hilarious yet very instructive manual, How to Sharpen Pencils. Please welcome David Reese. Hi, everybody. Thanks. Welcome to Ask Me Another. I'm happy to be here. You, uh, you do a lot of things, uh, 
cartoonist, writer, author, uh, comic, artisanal pencil sharpener. When people ask you at a party, what do you do when you want to give them like a one-line answer, what are you saying? I say I, uh, I don't make much money. <laughs> I just say I struggle. I'm a struggler. I, I always used to say I just try a lot. But I was on a um, Caribbean cruise, and I was in a hot tub with an elderly woman, and she asked what I did. And um, I told her that I had a pencil sharpening business. And that was kind of the uh, paradigm case for that type of conversation, which is that, uh, number one, I was in a hot tub with an elderly woman. Uh, and number two, there was like a few bewildered back and forth, and then she actually got really interested in, my, in the business. The pencil sharpening business had questions about techniques and pencils and stuff like that. So that's, that's usually how it goes. Let's just take uh, our listeners through what this means. So you have an artisanal pencil sharpening business, and what do you offer? I offer a uh, really sharp pencil at a premium. (laughs) How is this pencil sharpened? Well, I have a variety of uh, tools in my toolkit. You know, I have everything from a box cutter, a pen knife, to the world's most expensive double burr hand crank sharpener, to single-blade pocket sharpeners, to, you know, to sanding blocks, all manner of devices and techniques. And then I also bag and return the pencil shavings along with the pencil. And they also uh, get a certificate. The pencil is placed in a shatterproof display tube with a label showing uh, the tools that I use to sharpen the pencil, the conditions under which the pencil was sharpened, the date of the sharpening, the sharpness rating, all these things. So it's like this whole suite of objects that they can either choose to utilize in a very industrial, instrumentalist way or something they can share with their friends as an inspirational talisman or a conversation piece, something like that. You've found a void and you are fulfilling it. I basically found a void and turned it into a niche. (laughs) That's right. Maybe next it will be... That actually is a really elegant way of expressing my business model and I'm totally going to steal that. And in 20 years, when MBA students at Harvard are studying uh, my business model and my success, that's, that's the catchphrase that they'll all get tattooed on their foreheads. Why? Why did you decide to be an artisanal pencil Well, sharpener? as you mentioned, I used to be a left-wing political cartoonist, and eventually I got tired of all the money and the babes and the cocaine. And, um, you were I, in hot I, tubs I, in the Caribbean, I, my I friend. I decided that uh, I would quit cartooning when Bush left office and, and then I quit cartooning with no backup plan and that happened to coincide with the uh, collapse of the global economy and so um, I didn't have much money and by much money I mean any money and uh, so I got a job working as a door knocker for the 2010 census and I just went around knocking on doors as part of the census bureau And on the first day of staff training, they had us all sharpen number two pencils because the census forms are filled out. They're Scantron sheets, and so they're filled out using government-issued number two pencils. And we sharpen those pencils with government-issued single-blade pocket sharpeners. And so on the first day of staff training, they had us all sharpen pencils by hand. And it had been a long time since I would sharpened a pencil. Uh, And it was really satisfying and really nostalgic and... (laughs) And uh, so I said, I'm going to figure out how to get paid to sharpen pencils. So how long do you see yourself being an artisanal pencil sharpener? 
my only goal with the business initially was to not lose more money. <laughs> right. Could that's, I just stop excellent. hemorrhaging money with all my little projects? Excellent and, business model. And uh, so the original goal of my business was to recoup my initial investment costs, which were more substantial than you might think. Like I have about $1,000 worth of pencil sharpeners. Um, <laughs> And then my goal was, I wonder if I can get 100 people to pay me to sharpen a pencil. And then, of course, it was, I wonder if I can get 500 people. And then, you know, the book How to Sharpen Pencils came out. And then I, then I, and then I passed the 500 pencil threshold. And then, obviously, the next benchmark was 1,000 pencils. I'll retire when I hit 1,000 pencils. But then there was this great deluge of, of orders, and I didn't have time to put my thumb in the dike, so to speak. And so now I'm at 1,500 pencils. And so, obviously, the next benchmark is... 10,000 pencils. <laughs> uh, it w- and it, frankly, at this point, I am charging so much per pencil that it, it would be the height of folly to refuse a pencil order. How much are you charging for pencils? $35 a pencil. But I ask you this. For those people who do think this is an elaborate parody, what, what is your response? Send me your money <laughs> and wait and see what comes in the mail. I'm sold. I'm going to give you 35 bucks. I promise you that. But let me ask you this right now. How would you like to engage in a little Ask Me Another competition? Try to stretch your puzzle mind around pencils and more? Nothing would please me more. All right. I'll do that. Let's do it. Let's give you an Ask Me Another challenge. Thank you so much, David Reese. <laughs> and let me reintroduce our puzzle guru, John Chinesky. Hi, guys. And our one-man guitar band, John Roderick. (laughs) Now, David, obviously you're obsessed with pencils, but how much do you know about trapper keepers? Actually, all you need to know is they trap and they keep. So we are going to do a pencil quiz, of course. We have found a very special competitor for you. Please welcome Dalton M. Getty. Oh! (laughs) There is recognition... They are hugging. There is an embrace. Yes, David knows exactly me. who he is. Woo! I thought, yeah, this is... I do exist. Much respect to Ask Me Another. If you people don't know who this is, your friends have sent you the link of the little sculptures carved into pencil leads, the alphabet, the chains, the hammers, Abraham Lincoln. This is the guy. It's a pleasure to meet you. He's so stoked. He's so stoked right now. Dalton, we are so happy you could join us. Thank this you so insane. much. This is, this is insane. I know some of your works take like months and more to make, so I know that we are stealing time from whatever you're working on right now. Correct. <laughs> we got a tour. If we tour, oh, we're going to make so much money. All right, so we are going to give you guys the definitive quiz about pencils. See you in hell, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, let's go. Let's start easy. What is the metal ring that holds the eraser on a pencil called... Dalton. Ferrule. That's correct. (laughs) Very good, Ferrule. Since the early 1900s, what type of wood is most commonly used to make pencils? Dalton. Cedar. (laughs) Should we double-check to make sure yours is working? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yep. All right. You gotta be fast. 
In the U.S., a pencil's hardness is indicated by a number, with the number one being the softest. In Europe and Canada... Oh, no. We almost made it through a whole episode without mentioning Canada. But we did not. A letter system is used. What is the European or Canadian equivalent to a number two pencil? David. HB. That is correct. (laughs) And what does it stand for? Hard black. That is correct. Before the invention of the rubber eraser, what food product was commonly used to remove pencil marks? David drops the buzzer. Dalton, do you have an answer for that? What food product was used to remove pencil marks? Food product. Mm. I have no interest in erasers. Of course. He only works on one end, folks. The answer is bread. It's bread. It's just like, if you think of it, next time you eat bread, it is just like an eraser. Mm. The draft of which of these famous documents was partially written in pencil? The Gettysburg Address, the Magna Carta, or the Declaration of Independence? David. Uh, The Gettysburg Address. It was said to have been written by Lincoln using a German pencil. That's uh, that's unconfirmed, actually. That is correct. That's correct. All right, we're going to end with a music question. John Roderick, would you like to take it away? Yes. Hey, I heard you missed us. We're back. I got my pencil. Give me something to write on, man. Woo! Name that tune. It's a... Oh. <laughs> David is thinking... Dalton. Name that Van Halen tune. Oh. Yeah, it's uh oh. Alright, give you a couple more seconds. Got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. Hot for teach. Oh, yeah. sorry. sorry. There you go. David, you did it by one point. You are the winner of this Ask Me Another pencil round. And our prize is we asked each of our our contestants to bring a pencil, and the loser will have to sharpen the winner's pencil. (laughs) So, Dalton... I, I you, couldn't bring my knife. They wouldn't <laughs> let me in. No, that's true. You will have I, to. I got almost arrested. You will have to do that and send it to him, but make sure you put it in a shatterproof tube okay. in case he wants to hang and it on I'll his wall. And I'll send it back to him. There was a very tight competition, but congratulations, David. You did it. And thank you so much for being our VIP. Thank you so much for bringing Mr. Getty to be here. This is, to me, as a pencil enthusiast and as someone who has had his photographs sent to me a thousand times where people where I have to say no I am not him he is doing something different it's such a thrill and a pleasure to meet Dalton Getty I mean I have so much respect for you so this is amazing yeah pleasure thank you it's been a pleasure to be here thank you very much all right John Roderick you want to play us a number yeah happily uh this is a song from uh from the Long Winter's record, Putting the Days to Bed, uh, it's a little portion of the song Hindsight.
You never told me your secrets, so I guess they stay safe with me. Tall orders from such small shoulders and invitations on blue paper, but I'm bailing water and bailing water, cause I like the shape of the boat. You asked me and I told you and you asked me and I told you and I told you. In hindsight, you're gonna wish you were here. You keep scratching at the old paint, but the wood is still there and the room is still there. If you're my anchor, then I'm throwing you over the side before I have the time to say I never wanted anyone this way So I'm smoking cigarettes when no one else does And if I hold you now will I be holding a snowball when the season changes and I'm craving the sun Thank you. John Roderick. Finally, it's what we've all been waiting for. Let's bring back our winners to play our Ask Me One More final round from As Seen on TV, Valerie Glassman. From Something in Common, Dean Rosebloom. From Sing What? Catherine Sommerfeld. From He Was In That, Hannah Van Winkle. And from No Eye in Team, Leo Are. John Chinesky, take us out. Today's final game is called Capital, Not the Capital. For this final round, we're going to name a world city. You have to tell us if it is the national capital of the country it's in. For example, if I said London, you would say capital, since London is the capital of the United Kingdom. And if I said Hoboken, you would say not the capital, because Hoboken is not the capital of the United States. We're playing this spelling bee style, so answer one wrong, and you're off the stage. You'll only have a few seconds to give us an answer. Last person standing is today's grand winner. Ready, players? Here we go. Valerie, Shanghai. Not the capital. Not the capital is right. China's capital is Beijing. Dean, Havana. Capital. Yes, capital of Cuba. Catherine, Cairo. Not the capital? Sorry, it's the capital of Egypt. Hannah, Kyoto. Not the capital. That's right. Tokyo is the capital of Japan. Leo, Munich. Not the capital. That's right. Berlin is the capital of Germany. Valerie, Athens. Capital. Yes, the capital of Greece. Very good. Dean, Sydney. Capital. No, the capital of Australia is Canberra. Mm. <laughs> Hannah, Istanbul. Capital. No, the capital of Turkey is Ankara. Leo, Bogota. Capital. Yes, capital of Colombia, very good. Valerie, Brussels. Not the capital. No, I'm sorry, it is the capital of Belgium. Leo, Rio de Janeiro. Not the capital. It's not the capital. Brasilia is the capital of Brazil. 
So, Leo, that makes you our Ask Me Another grand winner. Congratulations, Leo Are. You are our big winner. You win our grand prize. Our grand prize is a copy of David Reese's book, How to Sharpen Pencils, and David will send you your very own artisanally sharpened pencil. With its own protective sleeve. So that's it. Our time is up. But if you want more Ask Me Another, you can find us anytime on the internet, Facebook or Twitter at NPR Ask Me Another. And if you want front row seats to a taping of Ask Me Another, go to amatickets.org. Ask Me Another's puzzle guru is John Chinesky. Hey, my name anagrams to Oh Heck Ninjas. Our special musical guest today is John Roderick. Hi, jock or nerd. Additional puzzle writing contributed by Kyle Bleakley, Julian Shepard, Noah Tarno, Greg Volk, and David Levinson-Wilk. Our puzzle editor is Art Chung. Our associate producer is Josh Rogeson. With production help from John Asante, Eleanor Kagan, Ivan Kuriev, and Noriko Okabe. Ask Me Another was recorded and mixed by Paul Ruest. Our house sound engineer is David Hurtgen. Our senior supervising producer is Jesse Baker. Our general manager is Portia robertson Migas. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. We'd like to thank the Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. Our home in Brooklyn, New York. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm her right begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Hi, I'm Ophira Eisenberg, host of Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Are you one of those readers who can always find the grammatical error? Well, then this week's game, Spot the Mistake, has yous written all over it. And our mystery guest explains why every month should be Black History Month, coming up on NPR's Ask Me Another. Ask Me Another.